0: Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. Hey, we want to remember to pray for all the uh, families of the fallen soldiers this past week. Uh, 13 Americans and 169 Afghans were killed and uh, with the bombing uh, in Kabul. So let's just take a moment uh, of silence and just personally just pray for those families. All those young men, young men, one woman, uh, were all in their 20s except one. One was in his 30s. They were like 20, 21, 22. I read through the list saw everyone describe one of those young soldiers had a baby, has a baby due in three weeks, his first child. And another one of those soldiers has a sister that's special needs, about nine years old, who worships the ground he walks on and so excited for his life. And yet this is hitting those families right now. So it really personalizes where they are, these Marines and the one Navyman that was killed in this. Let's stand just for a minute. We'll take a moment and just wait and kind of quiet, pray together and I'll conclude it. At the end of the minute, go ahead. Lord, we thank you for these young soldiers that, will they sign up to protect this country. They sign up, Lord, because they're patriots and they want to see this country do well. Lord, many of their families are suffering right now. We just pray, Lord, your hand to be upon them right now in the name of Jesus. Minister across America to all those moms and dads, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, sons, and daughters. Just pray, Lord, there'd be a sense of of understanding and peace in this moment. And may the peace that passes understanding come upon their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray for those Afghans, the hundreds of Afghans that were affected by this, the thousands and families, Lord. and Lord, all the distress over there, Lord, we've been praying all week, but we pray, Lord, for the, for the mighty warrior of heaven to come and confound the enemy, the Taliban, in the name of Jesus. We pray, Lord, they would not be able to find the secret colonies of believers that are out there, Lord God, that you would protect them and that the believers, as we've heard reports all week, are surging across Afghanistan under persecution. We bless them right now, Lord. You'd protect them. You'd keep them safe. You'd bring them out. And Lord, build a mighty church out of Afghanistan, we say, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I was getting texts during our worship service from a friend of ours here in Ohio, pastor friend. I won't mention his name for security purposes, but he's been over there for the past three weeks on the border, bringing people out of Afghanistan. And his reports are that the church is blowing up over there, man. People are coming to Jesus Christ left and right. The church there is standing true. They will not, the Taliban requires you to deny Jesus Christ. I know this always sounds like some kind of a urban legend that doesn't happen, you know, but deny Jesus Christ and return to Allah. And they're refusing to do that. So we know what's going on. Uh, they're just getting on a plane now, this friend of mine and his wife coming back to the US. They're probably gonna go back in about three weeks. They've instructed their church on the ground to do what they need to do. And so amazing things are going on. That's just one little sliver of what we know about. Of course, Glenn Beck, Kenneth Copeland, many others are involved in bringing people out, Franklin Graham, out of uh, Afghanistan, getting them settled into places where they can experience freedom of worship. We thank the Lord for that. Please keep praying for them. This This is a linchpin right now. This is a moment where... It's kind of a 9-11 moment. I know it's just we're just a couple weeks away from remembering 9-11 21 years ago, 20 years ago, but this is a moment right now, and, and at the same time the fires are raging in California and a cat four hurricane, Ida, right? Ida is coming up on the same day that Katrina hit 16 years ago. I mean, there is, there is some huge parable in this whole thing. It's above my prophetic pay grade to figure it out. But it's enough for me to be alerted and go, Jesus, something's going on in America right now. Something's going on. And if we believers just kind of say, oh, it'll work out. I was reading this week about the Roman Empire, and I've been reading a lot in the past few years on the Roman Empire. It fascinates me. How could a, an empire that was four, time, four times the age of the United States. Arguably one of the most powerful civilizations in world history, definitely in Western history, but possibly in world history. And yet in a day become invaded by tens of thousands so-called barbarians, they only called them that because the German language to the Romans sound like bar, 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 so they called them barbarians. And The barbarians came from the north over the iced over Rhine River, But they say it took two decades for them to realize that their civilization was threatened. Two decades. You say, well, it's because they didn't have the internet. (laughs) Well, I don't know. It's because they made friends with their enemies and thought, hey, this isn't so bad, but not realizing that it was totally destroying what they had had previously. And so uh, finally there was a reaction, but the reaction was too late. And it took about 200 years for the empire finally to fade away. There's still evidences of it today, obviously, in our very culture. When you have Roman Greco-type architecture and everything else, it's a reflection of that thousand years that we're renaissancing right now over the past 500 years specifically. So something is on the move. This is a a flashpoint. It's an inflection point. I don't know how else to say that this is an important moment I've been telling my kids, I mean, they're, they get this, they understand, but I said, hey, pay attention right now. This is, this is the key moment that could affect the rest of our lives. And we need to enter into prayer like never before. I've been praying more now in the mornings for America than I ever have, I think. I usually bring my requests up, spend time worshiping the Lord, you know, but boy, America's just been coming in my mind over and over. Pray for America, pray for America. So do that right now. I feel that if we push in and pray, particularly over these next three to four months till the end of the year, we're going to see a shift in America. And I believe it's already beginning to happen because millions of Americans right now are praying. Thank God we have intercessors in America. When I come on Sunday morning and see, you know, 10 or so up front here praying together in a circle, it encourages me because I know that they're the first ones to go out in prayer and they're clearing the way You know, the way of the Lord, they're bringing high places low and low places high, evening out the path for the Holy Spirit, the land and power in this culture right now because we believe the greatest revival known to man is right in front of us. The so-called billion soul harvest. I don't even want to limit it with numbers. Maybe it's a two billion soul harvest, but we believe a massive wave of the Holy Spirit's coming and we want to be positioned for that. That's why over the past couple, well, the past five weeks, I've been focusing on this series that should be up here right now. Yes, Nomads to Builders. God's collecting people together into the ecclesia. And I know there's a lot of stuff about ecclesia out there. Everyone has their own interpretation. I've got mine. I feel I'm trending according to the word of God, but, you know, everyone feels that. But I do study closely what the Bible says, the New Testament says, about the church, about those ecclesia. Yes, they are the called out ones. That's what it means. But as someone reminded me this week is that it is a institution of thought. It's an ideology that was in Jesus' mind when he said, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There was not just a little gathering of people outside in a park somewhere It's a group of people that are focused on what's going on in their world, in their culture. They've got their eyes upon heaven. They're they're really following the two commandments, loving the Lord God with all their heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, and loving their neighbor enough to begin to give their lives to them, laying out, laid down lovers, as Heidi Baker called it, laying their lives down for their brothers and sisters, and learning to realize it's not just about me. We no longer can be nomads. I know there's periods of time in our life where we get nomadic. And, and I, I, just, I know that happens. I think it's a rhythm of life. It's kind of a Sabbath of sorts. And you do that, and that's, it's fine, it's okay. But I'm telling you right now in this moment in history, this is not a good time to be a nomad. I've, I know enough about sheep, which is very little, but I know enough about sheep that the wolves that come in always go for the weak or the separated. Those that wander off, they become victims to the wolf. So what do we do? We come together, we huddle up, we come like a tribe. I love in Israel, and I probably mentioned this last Sunday because it's been on my mind, but I love the tribes in Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, because even though they had their problems, my goodness, they had their problems, even fighting with one another. It sometimes doesn't sound like my family, but I know it sounds like other families. You know, we always fight. There's always this, you know, because you can do that as a family. But the two key things in their life, the reasons for their existence, was for two reasons. Number one, to party, to get together and have festivals, conferences, what you want to call it nowadays? Sunday services, let's get together, celebrate together. It's what these tribes are about. We're all out there, but we gather together, gather, scatter, gather, scatter, gather, scatter. It's the rhythm of the church. We gather together. We do that for celebration, but we also do it like the ancient tribes of Israel. We come together for war. When there's something that is out there that is attacking the very name of Jesus Christ, when the poor are being offended, when people are being abused, when justice is not in our circles, the church needs to come together. This is the ecclesia. They come together, and in God's mind, they are attended. As I read in Ephesians three, 2 and 3 last week, that the, the intention of God for the church, one of the intentions is that they might display, that's what the Greek word is, display the manifold wisdom of God. I mean, this is, this is wisdom above our pay grade. This is wisdom outside of our solar system. It is outside of our universe. It's in the kingdom of God that stuff will come upon the gathered church that they will get together that will actually solve societal problems. And that the church is supposed to be a microcosm of what happens when heaven touches earth. The ancient Celts called them colonies, Of heaven. That every church should be a colony of heaven. Every church in this city that calls upon the name of Jesus should be a taste of heaven. That when you walk in there, you feel something of heaven. You feel something of Jesus in your life. And that testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It opens up a future. It opens up understanding. You become like a sons of Issachar. And you understand the time and you know what to do. So how do I do that? I'm not a, a politician. You don't have to be a politician. Some of the greatest influencers in the world right now are not politicians. Some of the ones throughout history I mean, God's used politicians throughout history and he used kings and presidents and prime ministers and everything else. But it's generally somebody emerges with a voice, somebody who's attached to a group of somebodies and they're together and something is revealed and they speak out and it becomes something that changes culture, it changes society. We've seen that all throughout our history and here we are right now in this point in history, who are the people that are going to speak out? I tell you, you got to speak out. you got to hear and then you got to speak. I love what it says about Peter in the book of Acts. I quote it all the time. Peter, who had just 40 days, 50 days before that, denied Jesus three times after he prophesied, Jesus prophesied that he would deny him three times. Like that's, that's pretty embarrassing. Jesus says, you're going you're gonna to reject me three times. No, 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 no way. Yes, you will. No way. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. What happens? Oh, right in the, in the ear sight of Jesus. <laughs> Boom, he denies him three times. Vehemently, like it had power behind it. No, I'm not with him. I mean, he almost cursed the very thought of it, you know. And yet Jesus and his tender mercies comes in there. It speaks to him and restores him. We are in a time right now where we're being tested in our very spirit. The innards of our soul is being disturbed right now. You don't understand it. I'm hearing so much of this right now, and I'm feeling a lot of this. This is a time right now not to run and hide, not to get behind the wall of beans in your basement, but seriously, it's a time right now to focus upon Jesus Christ, learn to behold him and be transfigured in his presence. So last week I talked about how the church is a laboratory, it's the intention of heaven, is that it be a laboratory of love. That if we can't love one another in here, how will you love your neighbor who you do not know? It's so those brothers and sisters, and I, I, you know, we're part of a church culture right now. I'm talking about America, where people get so easily offended. Uh, have you noticed that? <laughs> Everyone's offended by everything. What I'm wearing, it offends me. Well, you feel like saying, well, what you wear offends me? But you don't do that because the Bible says to love your enemies. And those who speak, do not speak well of you, bless them. And so that is not easy. That's a different kingdom than what we live in. And so sometimes you have to speak those things in faith. This is Romans speaking those things which are not as though they were. I love you so much. That's an r not as were. You look awesome today. r not as were? I appreciate the input. R not as were. So we're learning a new culture. That culture somehow, somewhere reaches a tipping point in a church, and the light of Jesus Christ begins to shine out of that church. Man, I am so committed to this. Start with me first, you know, that's the biggest challenge. But I'm committed to this, that something is going to happen in this Brunswick campus. Do you see how we're growing? We're growing out here. Numbers, more people coming. We're coming in. I want you to know right now, if you're new, you're coming in. I think you're in the right place. I think God led you here. I hope you can become a part. I hope you can get at the wall with us, with a sword in one hand and a spade in the other. You know, you're building and fixing, but you're also protecting, like, Nehemiah did. I pray that you have a vision for this nation to be turned around. I pray that you have a vision for revival. That's where we are. That's who we are. That's what we want to do. But we also are not stupid. We understand there's a day-to-day tactical way that we live. And we are learning the methods of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, call unto me. And Jesus said, learn of me. Right now, we're in a learn of me period. We are learning Jesus Christ. Every time I feel like I want to respond with a bad attitude or a bad heart, I feel the, t- the tension of my commitment to who Jesus is. And it's like, Jesus is this way, and where you're heading is that way. I know, but just once? Can I just say this once? Can I, can I reply on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook? Just this once? Once? Can I set up a separate page where no one knows who I am? (laughs) Joe Schmo. Then I can go and say whatever I want. But you just feel the Holy Spirit pointing this way. Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, but I don't think that's going to get the quickest result that I can get over here. Jesus, Jesus. I won't feel as good as I think I'm going to feel if I say this. In fact, we can always find a scripture for it. I'm going to speak the truth and love. You're already, you're disqualified. There's no love in that truth. So give your truth over to the Lord and call out to the Lord that he will bless that person. Why well, do I don't want them blessed? They need to understand that God is a holy God also. And he's a God of judgment. There's the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, you come up with all these things that are a mishmash of your own little theology about who God is. We continue to create God in our image rather than being the image that he's creating us into, which is him. (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't in my notes. Okay, good, let's go back here. I get off track here when I, let's see what I was gonna say. Yeah, that laboratory of love. We're learning to love one another. So, (laughs) it's funny, when I first wrote this down the other day, I thought, They took me back to grade two. In grade two, I was moving from Lakewood to Brooklyn school system. I was like seven years old, I think, six or seven years old, something like that. I'd been used to Lakewood schools, get into Brooklyn schools, and they used a word I wasn't familiar with. And so all of a sudden the teacher, like at the beginning of the day said, who would like to go, who needs to go to the lavatory?" Honestly, I wasn't paying attention. I thought she said Laboratory. That's all like chemistry. I raised my hand, you know, all I want. So I go out there and they lead me to this room that was not a laboratory. And I thought, sometimes it happens in the kingdom of God. You know, we misunderstand what the Lord said. But let me just say, there's a laboratory of love, which means every one of us is, is intentionally, by heaven, rubbing on one another. The Bible says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I think I could stretch that verse without denying its context and saying it's men and women. So we, we rub one another. You gotta be close to rub. And we get together and you know, we're, we're on a team that's, that's, that's greeting at the door. And I greet one way and they greet another. It's like, oh, it kind of aggravates me the way they do that, you know. That's why you're there, to be aggravated. Because the aggravation creates a response. And it's like the Lord putting a little trowel in your heart, you know, and He's, he's digging something up, you know. He said, Let's get rid of that. That's a bad seed there. Let's get rid of that. You go, I never prayed for that. You, oh, yeah, you, you prayed that hundreds of times. You said things like, Lord, shake me, mold me, make me, and whatever. We sang songs, shake me, mold me, make me, and whatever. You prayed, Lord Jesus, you prayed in tongues, or rabba shaba. You didn't know you were praying, Lord, dig deeper into my heart conform me in the very image of Jesus Christ bring love up in my heart that's the laboratory of love we're learning how to love but don't just we're in this culture right now is that I like it I'm gone I don't like gray carpet you should have red carpet I'm out of here church down the street has red carpet you say people don't think that way they do they do and I watch all the time, schism, schism. You know what? I, I, people ask me sometimes. They like, go, "What church would you go to in the city?" You know, if you weren't the pastor here. Well, of course, you know I'd go here. But if this didn't exist, you know, I'd, I'd look around for a church that had love. We're—we're we're, not the perfect, perfected. You, you probably won't find that if you join it. It'll be messed up. But anyway, we—we we look around for a laboratory of love where are people honestly the real they're not just kind of saying weird things but they're wanting to connect together because we want to fulfill the prayer of Jesus in John 17 that we might be one as the father and son are one I think that's Jesus dream and we want to f- so we have this laboratory here of love the, and, the, and the church is meant to have influence out of this laboratory it's not just an outreach it's you are the outreach when you go to your job tomorrow whenever you go we're we're not with you but we kind of are you know we're praying we're praying that there'll be impact power you know I've told people this for years I used to be a business trainer uh, and I I told people all the time look because they said you know I'm in a job it's a dead-end job and you know I'm not happy with it they're not paying me enough I mean all these reasons why and I said here do this Can you quit the job? And they're like, no, 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 I can't quit the job. I got bills I got to pay. I'll say, okay. Let's change the atmosphere then. Here's what you need to do. Just start praying that God will give you innovation. Solve problems. Well, I don't want to solve a problem. I want a different job. Let's solve a problem. Joseph did it when he was in Potiphar's house, when he was in prison. He went there and, and realized his environment and emerge to the top of that environment. Then he get falsely accused in a different environment. But he started carrying along this thing. Wherever we go, we emerge. I've told, this, said this for years. I love that about the Jews. You can drop ten Jews into any city, and they bring transformation. It's in their DNA. It's in their understanding that we are here, and we're creating a culture that is enviable, prosperous. Solid, strong, and I know Jews aren't perfect. I'm just telling you, there is something upon Jews historically that wherever they go, they influence and they emerge. And that is in our roots. You are a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, who is a Jew. You are following him and you are dropped into a place and you're meant to produce problem solving in that situation. Solve problems, innovate. Solve problems, innovate. If you do that, you will prosper and you will be advanced in that organization. So you're taking the laboratory of what you learn here and you're taking it out there. Here's a verse I want to read. If you could turn to Proverbs 18 in my nine minutes left. Proverbs 18, verse 16. Proverbs 18, verse 16, a verse that we probably all know. I love it. It says this, a man's gift makes room for him. And brings him before great kings or great men. Now, this is speaking of, it could be speaking of a lot of different things. It could be speaking of what I call your personal currencies. Your personal, I come up with, I don't know, about, I think, 15 or 19. I forget what it is. I'm I'm getting more all the time. Personal currencies. Your history, your personal history is a currency. That, that can be something that is used in your life to move you forward, open doors, advance, whatever. Even your difficult history. Right. You know, the fact that you were on drugs. Well, that history can be used as street cred to talk to people that are struggling with drugs. So it becomes a currency. The skills you have are a currency. The money you have is a currency. Currency. And what this is saying in the Bible is, is that gift that God has given you, what has been given to you personally, it can make room before you and bring you before kings. I remember when I first went to Canada in 86, I was trying to kind of break through to the community. There was only about hundred and probably 20,000 people that lived in the city. We we're going to be planting a church and, um, you know first thing you do in a city that size you try to get connected and there was a lot of doors that were closed it was difficult to uh, to get connected and i was a young man i was 29 years old trying to figure this out foreign country <laughs> and uh, you know just trying to connect with people i'm an outsider though from america you're not from the maritimes you know all that stuff that happens when a stranger goes to a place that he's not born or raised in and so what happened was i uh, in starting the church i I, I, has, I had a few skills in developing logo uh, uh, brochures, things like that. I don't remember how I even did it now because we didn't really have computers, you know, pull that stuff together. But I just had ideas and thoughts, pulled it together. And somehow I got noticed. And what I told, I've told this story, this part of the story before, but a lady who passed away uh, right the week that I got there and I happened to pray for her. She left $100,000 to the United Church of Canada to use for healing ministries. And I remember when it happened, I thought, shoot, that would be amazing to have $100,000 devoted to healing ministries. Because at that time, it'd be John Wimber and many others we'd love to bring into our small city in Eastern Canada. But you know, how do you get access to that? Well, anyway, what happened was it came to the group of people that were running it, the team from the United Church of Canada, that I had skills in in. Crafting brochures and things like that. And they were going to do some small conferences. And I, so they invited me over and said, Can you bring your stuff? I showed them my nice stuff. And they said, Well, you want to be a part of the team? I said, Sure. I mean, it was, it was a small gift. I don't even use it anymore, but it was a small gift that opened the right door and brought me before people. So now I'm all of a sudden in the team of people that have to spend, now this is 1986, have to spend $100,000 within seven years toward healing ministries. It feels like it'd be easy, man. It was a challenge. And so I just started dreaming as I got influence within the team and eventually they allowed me to kind of lead the team and eventually actually they stopped doing it and gave me the whole mailing list From what we had developed, we were doing conferences with 16 to 1700 people coming in a city of 100,000. We were bringing people from all over the world to speak. I mean, John Paul Jackson, Mike Bickle, all these people, it was like my dream list. We're cranking through this, trying to spend this $100,000. We never did spend the $100,000, and it was given to something else, I don't know what, because we were making money as we were doing it. And yet getting thousands of people from all over Maine and New England and the Maritimes to this day, it has seeded something into that region because of one woman who gave $100,000. Her gift made room for her even after she passed away. So you begin to find as a person, what's my currency? I've got a book on it. If you want to read it, your prophetic life map, it talks about it. But how would I find out? What what is my... Everyone in this room has something that you give. And when you sow that, rather than holding your cards close to your chest and saying, I just want to hold some cards. I really don't want to play the game. But instead of that, you yield your gifts into the purposes of God, into a local ecclesia. I'm not just talking about money, although money's important in that. I'm talking about who you are as a person. I mean, if you've got a gift of singing, worshiping, whatever it might be, you know, you try out. If you want to be in a drama, you get involved in one of our Christmas or, or Easter plays. If, you, if you're a creative person, you get in the creative community. Well, I don't know anyone here. That's how you get to know people. And when it happens, you start to be knit together and a laboratory of love is being founded in a very powerful way. And it says in the Bible, it will grow up into a holy temple unto the Lord. But you got to yield yourself. Even if you're only temporary here and you're, I'm moving to Montana next April. Okay, well, why are you here? Yield yourself. You know, become a volunteer or something. Explore something. You say, I don't know what my gift is. Well, then start off as a a greeter or an usher or something like that. We need help with our grounds out here and up in Middleburg, down in Akron. we need gardeners. We need people that understand trees, plants, and geese. We need a word from the Lord on how to get rid of our geese, you know. So I'm reading that, and I'm thinking, I love the gift. You give, a man's gift makes room for him. It, It has all through my life when I yielded my gift. When people didn't know who I was or what I had, I didn't typically advance very far. I didn't get any open doors. How many of you are waiting for an open door in your life? Raise your hand. Well, that's not too many. I thought it'd be more. Let me ask that again, because you had to think about it. How many, I'll rephrase it. How many of you are looking for like a gate of opportunity to open up in your life right now? Oh, okay. Well, good. We're in the right place today. How are gates open? It starts with giving. When you yield who you are in all your personal currencies. If you've got little kids that you raised up, you can actually help some people that have little kids. Either telling them what what you found out that worked or what didn't work. I mean, I get around young couples with children. I'm like, oh, I remember that, you know. I remember with my grandkids living with me right now because they're between houses. I'm learning a lot. I'm remembering a lot. And remembering why. Kids are typically given to young people. (laughs) (laughs) I love my grandkids. In fact, they're, they're, they're doing great. You know, it's been, I don't know, two or three weeks now. They've been with us and... You know, we're just adjusting our life and getting out of our grumpiness and, uh, and, and moving into a, uh, a new way of living. I love it. So what it is, when you yield yourself, when you step into a role, sometimes we're thrust into something, you get into something opened up And release who you are, and when you do, it's the cement, it's the glue, it's the grout, it's the love, it's sacrificial, it's what Jesus did. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve. We didn't come to be served, we come to serve. And as you yield your life, for God so loved the world that he gave. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son when Jesus came as a gift. He opened up gates. You know what gates he wants to open up? Hell. The church was called. The church was a gift to the world. And the church, the gates of hell, will not prevail against them. When you yield, when this church comes into its, which I believe is we're in a pivotal moment between now and the end of the year where we're going to shift and it may not, it may, maybe some tactical things might be strategic, but you're gonna feel it. There's gonna be a shift because God is about, we, <laughs> the Lord's been telling me 10X over this church, 10X, which would be, I don't know, five, 6,000 people, something like that. Why are people important? Because they're people. But God's gonna blow this thing up And we need to know how to build strong, creative communities, how to build strong, serving communities, strong worship communities, strong, make sure the properties look good communities, strong ladies groups, men's groups, youth groups. You know, we want to move into a different place, but we all yield ourselves. Why? Because a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before kings. One last thing with my 30 seconds left. Barnabas was an amazing volunteer. He apparently had a little bit of money. And in the early church, in fact, I think it's, uh, let's see if I can find the first one, in Acts chapter four, it says this. Now think of this, man's gift makes room for him, man's gift makes room for him. In Acts four, his name is Joseph. actually, it's not Barnabas. Barnabas was a nickname given to him by the disciples. His mom gave him the name, his mom and dad gave him the name Joseph. Which, which means a, oh, what does it mean? I had it right here. Ah, here it is. May God multiply. That's his original name. But the disciples called him Barnabas, son of encouragement. Why? Because he gave. He yielded who he was. One of the things he had, in fact, you know what? His finances yielded for him an ultimate apostolic anointing. It was probably on him the whole time. He just didn't know it. So he, come, he sells some property he has. He gives it to the apostles because the church has momentum. It's taking off. Of course, it needs money. He does that and something changes in who he is. He's not just a volunteer. God begins to use him in a very powerful way. So he starts as a giver, but then he becomes a promoter. He finds out that there's this young guy named Saul who the apostles had trouble with because Saul was a murderer of Christians. But he came to know Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9, I think it is, Acts 9. And so when he comes near the disciples, everyone hides. It's like, I don't know, is this just, is he faking it? Like, is he really a follower of Jesus Christ? You're gonna, we, need, we need some time. This guy needs to really settle down. Barnabas gets a hold of him because the, the, the apostles like Barnabas, because Barnabas was a giver and supported the whole thing. He brings Saul to them, introduces them to them, and they embrace Saul as a friend. You say, how does that work? It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. He's opened up. So Barnabas is being faithful as the Lord is moving deeper and deeper and deeper into being a strategic planner for the emerging church in the first century. After promoter, he becomes apostle. They decide to start a church in Antioch. They send Barnabas over there. There's five people listed, five guys listed that were the leaders of that church. And as it is in Jewish custom, the first person, primo, primary individual is always listed first. Barnabas is listed first, Saul is listed last. So Saul's emerged into leadership. In fact, he was not there initially, but Barnabas went over to where he was and said, Saul, come on, man, you need to come over to Antioch and help me. He's like, I don't don't know. I don't know what his response was, but maybe it was hesitant because he had not been received well by the church. But he says, come on, come over there. I believe you've got potential, man. You're going to do, you know, you imagine Barnabas, he has no idea that Paul's going to write one third of the New Testament. And so he gets him and he pulls him over. He gets him into leadership, even though he's relatively new to the kingdom of God, gets him into leadership, but he's the number five guy rather than number one. Barnabas is number one. And they work together and the church grows and amazing things happen. And then they decide, you know, let's set apart for us, Paul and Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Saul, actually. Let's set them apart and send them. And so they send them out. And they're supposed to spend time, you know, ministering and blessing and going to different churches and all that. And so Saul goes with Barnabas. Barnabas is the leader of the team. Saul's with him. I don't know if there was an age difference. There probably was. Could be 10, 15, 20 year difference between them. uh, Barnabas being the older person. But that's that's in Acts 13. And all of a sudden at the end of Acts 13, the narrative shifts and it's no longer Barnabas and Saul. It's Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas goes with it. Like he's not like, hey, I'm from Cleveland. We believe in seniority. I was in a union for 20 years and you're gonna have to wait your time, Paul. I get that God's moving you in very powerful ways, but you're still young. No, something happened or the grace of God emerged. Barnabas has the heart to be able to yield that. Why? Because he never never thought he was gonna get in this deep. He's just a giver. He's a supporter. But when you do that, boom, 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 boom. Doors open, doors open, doors open, doors open. You go deeper into the places of God. Who knows what God might do with you? I've got friends. I wish I could tell some of the stories, but Trust me, I've got many friends. I've seen them go through these doors, boom, 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 into the depths of being used and having influence over nations and over cities when that was never a part of what they ever thought they might do. But because they yielded their gift, the doors begin to open. Let's all stand together if we could. This day is brought to you by a bunch of volunteers. <laughs> yeah, we just thanked them all. Some of them miss the service because they're out there setting up. So here's what I want you to do: Let's honor those volunteers, whether you eat pizza or not. Some of you go, "Well, I don't like pizza." It's not about the pizza. Yeah, that's right. If you want to bring your own lunch, you can do that. But we we got some pizza out there, and we got some other things. I don't know what else is out there. We got stuff for the kids, and we're so happy you're here today. Hang out with us. Give us a little bit of time. We've got some stuff outside. Kids can play. Adults can. Uh, there's, there's hall, There's places to just sit around, chat, talk, eat together, meet somebody. I really encourage you. If God's brought you to this place, and He has, let's take the next step. Yield, yield yourself and your time for another hour or so. Say, yeah, I'll do it. I gotta eat it anyway. I think I'll stick around. God, you, meet, you can meet one person in this room that changes your life. One person. I mean, with me, I met a guy in 94, asked me to have a Coke, shared this two weeks ago. That Coke totally changed my life because of the man that gave me the Coke. He bought it, actually. Sat there drinking that Coke, realized I was before greatness, and the Lord opened the door, and the trajectory of my life shifted with a man I did not know by one Coke. I have stories of people making one connection that brought them, this isn't about finances, but this example is financial, millions of dollars, one shift. I got a guy in our church right now praying for a relationship like that. And if that relationship comes through, it means millions of dollars to him. So there's the financial aspect, but there's also the depths of spiritual understanding that can come. You meet one person it could be a lifetime friend our little granddaughter, Josie, went to school this week, Christian school, met a little girl, came to me, said this to her mom too, but she came to me, she says, I have a new friend that's going to be my friend forever. She's in grade one, first grade. I said, really? I said, what's her name? She said, I don't know. <laughs> so obviously there's a little more that needs to happen in that relationship, but the connection's there. And I just laughed, I thought, well, that may, may it be so. I, I still have friends here from third grade, you know, so, so uh, may it be so. So we're going to bless you in that. We're going to release you in a minute. And is someone going to come up and help guide us in this? Is that what we do and how we do it and how you eat pizza and things like that? But first of all, just real quick, let me just look over the crowd. Let's wait on the Lord for a minute. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, maybe we're just invited by somebody to come. I don't know what your reason is, but you're here. You may even wonder what was all that stuff what was that 45 minutes of singing all about well it's an engagement with God you may not understand it right now but these people are doing it I mean they're coming out on a Sunday morning worshiping corporately because there's something about when you yield yourself in worship doors open in your life doors into heavenly understanding doors into your own personality doors into your own foibles your own idiosyncrasies I've had the Lord's finger touch me in so many ways during worship where I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me, Lord. Give me the energy, the Holy Spirit to change me, to shape Steve Witt and who he needs to be. I mean, it's just amazing what happens in the presence of God. But in order to truly understand that, you you must be born again, like Billy Graham said. And like it said in John 3, you must be born again. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You may believe in Jesus as a historic figure, but until you say, I believe he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life, you cannot enter into the purposes of God. You step out of yourself, you step into him and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I want you. Shape, change, mold my life in Jesus' name. And he will do that day one. So right now, if you're here, you say, I've never done that. Or I did that at one time and I drifted off. I got baptized when I was eight. But you know, I haven't really had much to do with it since then. Wherever you are right now, but you know that you're not near the Lord. You, you do not feel the active voice of God in your life. We can change that right now. If you yield yourself, like I've been saying, give yourself. For God's love of the world, he gave. the Only begotten son of whoever believes in him should have eternal life. See, the door opens when you move in and give yourself fully to Jesus Christ. So if you're here right now, as so I just look across this room, you say, that's me, Steve. I've been away from the Lord. I've never even done this. If that's you, and we're not gonna embarrass you in any way, we're bringing some, we got team members up here now. We're ready to pray for you after the service, after we dismiss, and then we can have pizza together. But if you're here right now and you've never done that, just raise your hand as a signia to me. Yes, I see right there. Anyone thank you, sir? Anyone else around this room, just raise your hand. You say, that's me. That's me. I need prayer. Would you pray with me? Just raise your hand around the room. I'll just wait about 15 more seconds. I don't want to miss you. The pizza tastes much better when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It's true. It's been proven. That if your heart is a heart of love, everything tastes better and every drink tastes better. It does something with the endorphins in your body. It really does. Christ in you. So we bless that right now anyone else real quick before I close across this room I don't want to miss anybody just raise your hand wave it to me alright alright you can put your hand down sir let's just pray this together we're going to pray it with him right now Lord Jesus I come before you forgive me of my sin I've messed up sometimes but Lord I give myself to you Jesus shape me Through the power of your shed blood, wash me, cleanse me, restore me, and show me your ways. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you prayed it in faith, sir, it means that you're born again according to the word of God. And we thank the Lord for that. And right when we dismiss in just about two minutes, and and Jay's going to give us an explanation of what we're doing here, really we encourage all of you to stay. There'll be enough room in here that if you want to stay cool and not be going out there, you can do that too. Uh, And if any of you need ministry, this one guy who gave his heart to the Lord, if he comes up, we've got a book we want to give you, sir. We just want to pray over you, get you on your way. The rest of you, anyone who has financial, physical needs, whatever it might be, feel free to come up. Our team will pray for you. They'll stick around here for a while. We'll save them some pizza too. And our Middleburg campus will be joining us in about 45 minutes. So welcome. We're glad you're here. God bless you. you.